Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my, my name is Brian. I'm one of the one of the pastors here and excited today because we're kicking off a brand new series today called The Secret Sauce. And The Secret Sauce is all about dealing with people. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. People are frustrating, right? All of them. At least at some point in our lives, every person is, is going to, to frustrate us, even those that are, that are the closest to us. And so man, we thought, man, it'd be a really great thing if we could, if we could find some stuff in Scripture that help us in our, our daily interactions with, uh, with people. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at, at, at building the secret sauce. Every week, we're going to teach a, a principle uh, and, and in those principles, we're going to call those the ingredients, right, to our secret sauce. Now, I'll tell you this. Um, nothing has taught me more in this life about dealing with difficult people than having children. Come on, parents. Right? Um, now, my, my wife and I, we, we, I've heard for years and years and years and years, you know, opposites attract, right? Like that's what we've heard. And my, that's so true for my wife and I. We, we could not be more different. Uh, we have two daughters and uh, when they start acting crazy because, you know, they're kids and that's what kids do. When they start misbehaving, I look at my wife and I say, them's your kids, right? Like your daughters are misbehaving right now. They're, they're mine when they misbehave or when they behave, but they're hers when they, when they misbehave. Like, I, like to, I like to make that joke. Uh, the only problem is it's really impossible for, for me to deny that those are my children. Um, so I brought some pictures as proof. Uh, this is, um, I think I have pictures. And go. Yep, there we go. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's cuteness overload right there. The one on the left, the one on the right, yeah, not so much. But like, no, nah, so, uh, that's, so that's me, I think like around three or four and my daughter, Emma, uh, and then, that's like the same kid with a wig. Uh, <laughs> Leah, see, people tell you, you look like me and you think they're lying. I got, pro, I got photo, photographic evidence that that's, that's my child, right? And here's the, here's the thing about kids, right? Here's the thing about children. Every single one of them have something in common. And that is, and this, this, you don't have to be a parent to know this. You don't have to be a parent. As a matter of fact, how many of you at one point in your life were children? Show of hands, how many of you? And that's, that's, every, that's, all, that's all skate, like all, everybody participate. All of us were children at one point. And the one thing that is true about all children, they can't make it on their own. They can't live, they can't function, they can't survive, they can't enjoy anything about life without some measure of help. Even, even if like you or somebody you know had awful, 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 awful parents, in some way, shape or form, they at, at least to the, the bare minimum of parenting kept you alive. And then they might not have been a great parent, but you wouldn't have survived had it not been for some kind of provision from somebody, right? That's the thing that's true about all children. They cannot live, cannot survive, cannot make it on their own. None of us would be here without some help. And so it's from that premise, that idea that, that children, and here's the thing about children, they know that, 
right? Children know that. When, when they're little and something goes wrong, when they're distraught in some way, when, when they're scared or when they're terrified or even when they're excited, the first place children typically go is to their parent, right? When they need something, when, they, when they're hurt, when they're scared, when they're anxious, when they're happy, right? They, they run to their parent because they know instinctively and intuitively that, that I can't survive. I can't make it. I can't function without the input and influence of, of, of an adult, of a parent in some way or some kind of you know, guardian of, or of some sort. I, I can't make it without that. And so it's, it's from that premise that Jesus makes this, this bold declaration about what it means for a child to understand their need. And it's this principle that Jesus is gonna teach us. So we're gonna look, if you have your Bibles and you wanna turn, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna read the, the first four verses to start and then we'll, we'll pick up some stuff from there. But, um, but, but in, this, in Matthew 18, Jesus makes this bold statement that we're gonna use as a principle for how we interact with, well, how we relate to other people. Let me show you the, the, the principle and then we'll talk about it just a little bit. Matthew chapter 18, verses one through four. At that time, the, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and watch, so they wanna know like, hey, what does it take to be awesome in this new kingdom that you're gonna set up, Jesus? And I love Jesus' response. He, he called a little child to him, and place the child among them. So just kind of get this picture, like Jesus' disciples are gathered around him and they're asking him questions because he's this great teacher and he's this great rabbi and they, they, they wanna learn from Jesus and they're, they're trying to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus is like, you, you really wanna see a great picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like? And he brings a child and he sets this child in the midst of them. And then he goes on and says, he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change, by the way, pause, change, you got some work to do. The mere fact that you ask the question about greatness means there's some change that needs to take place. Unless you change and become, become like this little child that sits here among us. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we talk a lot about absolute words, right? Here, when we're studying through scripture, we're trying to identify these words of all or nothing, never and always. And Jesus here says, you got no chance. Not a small chance, not a slim chance. You have zero, never, not a single bit of opportunity or chance to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just think that if Jesus ever makes a statement about 
if this is the case for you, you're never gonna get into the kingdom of heaven, we should probably pay a lot of attention to that, right? That's, that's a pretty significant thing. If there, if there is one thing, if there's anything, if there is one thing that absolutely 100% keeps me out of the kingdom of heaven, I need to ensure, I need to do some life assessment. I need to do some, I need to do some troubleshooting and some evaluating and I need to make certain that if I desire to be where Jesus is in the kingdom of heaven that that is not true about my life and here Jesus says let me tell you there's a thing there's something that if you get this wrong heaven is off the table not even a possibility <laughs> and Jesus here is sitting with his disciples who are having a conversation about greatness and he says great in the kingdom of heaven you, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, the fact that you're even asking the question probably means that you're not even in, much less one of the best. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to hear this through their, through their ears. You know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. Like, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be a, if I'm going to be like a super lieutenant in the kingdom of heaven, or if I'm going to be like a lowly sergeant in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, you probably ain't even in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, until you, until you understand something about heaven, you're going to miss it all together. And here's the thing you got to understand. It's more, it's more like a childlike faith than it is about greatness. And as a matter of fact, the lower you get, the better you are. So you can, if you're a note taker, here's a big idea that's going to kind of help frame some of our, our, our time together here this morning is this. You can write it down. God's measure of success is a race to the bottom. Everything in our world and everything in our culture and everything in our, in our society tells us do all that you can to achieve and succeed and climb the ladder and get better and be greater and all this other kind of stuff. And Jesus said it's exactly the opposite of the kingdom of the heaven. It's not a race to the top. It's not about achieving at the expense of other people. It's a race to the bottom. Their question even assumes greatness, right? Hey, Jesus, what does it take to be the greatest? Not to be great, but to be to the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, that, that's a really weird way to say that word. But what, like, what does it take to be the best in the kingdom of heaven? And to, to even ask the question to assume that heaven has levels of greatness says that there's something incorrect about their thinking and about the way that they're processing this idea of heaven. You know, we, we, like the disciples, we, we live in a culture of comparison where we assume, we assume that at least in some way, like I'm just better than other people, right? Like there's, there's some people in this world, not everybody, like, but there are some people in this world, I'm just better than them. You know, I'm just, I have some things that they don't have and I'm just, I'm just better than them. And then we also assume, much like we assume that there are people who are, that we're better than, most of us probably assume, unless you're just hyper narcissistic and arrogant, that there are probably some people that are better than you, right? Like we look at, we look at all these people and you know, who are great successes and achieve great things and think, <laughs> Yeah, they're just a way better person than me or they're, they're way more accomplished than me or successful than me. We live in a culture that's full of comparison. And Jesus is saying, man, when we think like that, when we, when we process relationship through that lens, and we, we miss it. We're missing a, a key principle to life. And then again, he, 
he, he draws his principle from this idea of a child among them. And here's the thing about kids, right? Some of them might run a little faster. Some of them might have an easier time in school making good grades. Some kids might perform better in certain areas than other kids. But what's the one thing that all children have in common? What's the one thing? They can't make it. They can't survive on their own. And Jesus says it's the thing that makes us alike that we should focus on. That's where our attention and our focus should be. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. It means that you realize that you are completely dependent, completely dependent, completely dependent on the king for your survival. And when that's, when that's true for you, when that becomes the reality of your life, when you stop feeling like that in some way you've earned something because of how fast you run or how easy it, it is for you in school or how easy it is for you in life or how well you've done in business or life or whatever, whatever standard that you're using that is something other than your dependence on the king. Once, if, if that is ever the standard by which we're measuring ourselves by, by earthly success, then we've missed it. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is for people who think like children, who realize it doesn't matter how fast I run or how good I do in school or what kind of grades I make or what kind of job I have or where I went to college or who I work for or what I've achieved. None of that stuff matters because I am wholly and completely dependent on the king for my survival. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I can succeed and I can do great. I can do some things that the world will look at and say, that's awesome. But at the root of all that for me is a dependence on the king for even the ability to do those things. Jesus said that's the, that's the fundamental thing that's true about all of us. And, and when we begin to understand that, two things happen. We become humble and we become grateful. And here's the thing about humility and gratitude. You can write this down. Humility and gratitude are, are codependent. Now, let me tell you how I arrived at that point that I just put on the screen for you to write down. Um, I had this written both ways. I had humility begins with gratitude. And then I was gonna tell you that, man, once you realize your need and once you realize that, that, that you know, God is the provider for everything, man, it makes you really grateful. And then I said, you could even say that the other way, that when you're, that you're grateful and that'll make you humble, that when, you, when you're thankful for something that God has done for you, that that'll humble you because you realize that God had to give it to you. And then I, then I realized this is like a chicken and egg thing, right? We don't know which one comes first. We don't, we did, did, you, know, you guys are familiar with chicken and egg? Does that make sense to everybody other, besides me? All right, cool. This is like, I don't know which one comes first. I don't know if I'm humble and that makes me grateful or I don't know if I'm grateful for what God does and then that humbles me. I don't know which one is true. So I'll just say that they're codependent. When you have one, you're gonna have the other. If you're missing one, you're gonna miss the other two. So if you're a person whose life isn't characterized by gratitude, you're probably not very humble. Because you're not thankful for anything. You're not grateful. You don't, you don't see God as the provider of everything that you have to accomplish what you've accomplished. Maybe you're a huge success. Awesome. Who gave you the ability to do that? Who kept you healthy enough and, and, and your mind sharp enough? 
to accomplish whatever you've accomplished? It's God. And when you're a follower of Christ, that's the lens that everything gets filtered through. So, so when we, if, if, we, if we aren't grateful for what we've received, then chances are you're not very humble. And chances are if you're not very humble, if you don't feel like, if you feel like everything is owed or earned, then you're probably not grateful because you just deserved it anyway. You were entitled to whatever it is that you have. And that's not true either. But for the follower of Christ, it's all about him. It starts with him, it's from him, it's for him, and all glory belongs to him for everything that I've accomplished. When we start with the perspective of a child, we are reminded that if it were not for someone else, I wouldn't be here. And that's what Jesus taught us to, called us to. James 1.17 says that every good gift they're sitting on the screen. But James 1.17 says that every good gift comes down from our father who loves us, that, that he's a good father that likes to give good gifts to his children, that every good gift, that everything that's good about your life is there and, and available to you because God has, has gifted it to you. So maybe you're thinking, hey, Pastor Brian, like that's, man, that's really insightful. That's really good stuff that, um, that all, this, all that I have, that it comes from God. But what, what does that really have to do with this secret sauce idea of, of interacting with other people? Well, Jesus gave us the answer to that question in the very next verse. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 5. He said, and, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What such child? What such child? The one who has a need that resembles my own. When we begin, to, when we learn and we, we, we establish in our own lives that we are unable to make it in this life apart from Christ, then we recognize that same need in the lives of other people. That we recognize that the greatest and first need for every person walking on the face of the planet is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we, we believe that apart from Christ, that apart from the goodness of God, that apart from the gifts of God, that we would not be able to make it. Much like a child looks at their parent and says, I can't make it without you. We look at our king and we say, I can't make it without you. And not only could I not make it without you, but God, they couldn't make it without you. And they have a need that resembles my own. Our first consideration is this, do they know Christ? And if they don't, here, oh man, you got, I think I've, I've told you guys this like a hundred times. If you're new here today, this will be new for you. So this is for new people. All you old people, just close your ears from it. I have a big time problem with Christians that like to argue, debate, and get angry at non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. They have a different stand. We just did, uh, how many of you guys in connect group? Show of hands. 
Big plug for connect groups right here. All right, cool. Majority of us in connect groups. This week in connect groups, we, we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Lawsuits between believers and unbelievers. Morality, difference in morality between believers and unbelievers, right? That's 1 Corinthians 6. We studied that this week in groups. Here's what Paul was doing. He was drawing a stark contrast between the mentality and standard of unbelievers and believers. And so Jesus here, when he says, when he brings this little child in and he says, Anyone that welcomes one of these, one of, uh, such, uh, such a child as this welcomes me. Here's what Jesus is saying. We have to recognize and understand that the primary need for every individual on the face of the planet is a relationship with Jesus. And if they have it, if they have a relationship with Jesus, then, then now we get to interact believer to believer, brother and sister, family to family. And that, that's a particular type of interaction, right? There's a way that we behave. There's a way that we interact. There's a graciousness and a, a mercy that is extended believer to believer. Is there not? Do your heads like this? Yeah, we talked about that this week in groups. And if they are not a follower of Christ, they practice and behave according to a standard that is different than you. However, they have the same need that you do. And Jesus said, well, we, we got to stop feeling like we're in some way superior because we have a relationship with Jesus and they, and, and they don't because if we're, we're not for a relationship with Jesus, we wouldn't have anything. And without a relationship with Jesus, they don't, they don't have what they need to enjoy life the way that God intended life to be enjoyed. And so instead of getting angry, instead of getting angry or upset or frustrated, can I preach to myself for a minute? Because I, man, I struggle with this. Instead of getting frustrated by the person that's behaving to a standard that is non-Christian, for behaving to a standard that's non-Christian. Instead of getting angry, man, would I, would I teach myself to see their need and not their shortcoming? And instead of getting angry with them, would God condition me to, for my heart to be broken for them? They have a need that is unmet. They, of course they're gonna behave that way. Of course they're going to treat me that way. They don't know Christ. And if they do, then, then, then we, have a, we have a commonality from where we start. We agree on a standard. We agree on a way of interacting with each other because we have the same truth. If we're going to really get it right interacting with other people, we've got to learn to see them the way that God sees them, not as an opposition and certainly not as someone beneath you because you have Christ and they don't. I, I feel like I see this a lot, but social media has just amplified this for me. I see a lot of Christians bellyaching and complaining and arguing and being mean because this group believes this and they're behaving like a group that would believe that. And we, we're angry that they, that they could even believe that when, when God says, yeah, they have the same need that you had. Instead of getting angry, would it not break your heart for them? Because for it not to, 
For it not to break your heart is to ask the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? I've got Jesus, so I'm good. Now I'm trying to get better. And the way that we feel, the way that we convince ourselves that we can get better and be greater in the kingdom of heaven is about to point out the faults in the people who don't yet know him. Everything people do or say is based on what they believe. This is true for Christians as well. For, for Christians, our why, the, the why behind all the what's that we do, the why behind all of our behaviors, it, it should be Jesus. And I think for a lot of us, that's the, that is the filter that we use. But for people who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, they, they have a different why. Imagine with me your, your life, your job, your, your school, where every time you feel wronged or mistreated, that, that it led you to a feeling of, of compassion for something that they're missing rather than a frustration because of the behavior that's the result of the belief. I'm asking you to, to, to shift the way that you think. I'm asking me to shift the way that I think. My wife will tell, I'm turning into a grumpy old man. I get mad a lot at stuff that shouldn't matter. And I'm praying that God would condition my heart that instead of getting mad because they're behaving like somebody that doesn't love Jesus, that it would break my heart that there's somebody who doesn't love Jesus. What if... And they need Jesus. What if it was the compassionate cry of our heart instead of the punchline to the joke that we make about people who misbehave? Anybody other than me ever use that like a joke? But that person needs some Jesus. It's true. They probably do. What if we meant it earnestly instead of as a punchline? See, when we believe that, in, that because we have a relationship with Jesus, that somehow makes us superior or better or further along, whenever that we allow that to, to, to elevate our own version or persona of ourselves or our only um, assessment of ourselves, when we allow our relationship with Christ to somehow elevate us in our own mind, what should be gratitude becomes arrogance and superiority. And as a result, what should be compassion, grace, and mercy, and a desire to help, it becomes contempt and disgust and mockery. So this morning, I, it's my hope that, that each of us would just kind of do that self-evaluation of, of checking our own heart to figure out how we feel about, how we think about, and how we relate to others. And Jesus was pretty clear that if I check my heart, if I'm self-evaluating and I find arrogance, if I find superiority, if I find myself feeling like and thinking like I'm better than somebody else that has the same need that I have, then I'm not very much like a child aware of my need running to my father. Chances are I need to check my heart, not for, not for Jesus, but whether or not I've even received salvation because Jesus said, 
that until you believe like a child, have faith like a child, understand the even ground of all children everywhere is not being able to make it on their own. And until you, until you think like that, you're not even in. You're not even in. And if you really want to, to be something in the kingdom of heaven, then it, it's, a, it's a race to the bottom. How much can I serve? How well can I give? How much can I be? What can I do to move the needle in the life of this person who is obviously behaving to a standard that's different than mine? What can I do to move the needle from where they are to closer to Jesus? Because their greatest need is not some witty comeback from Brian that's going to make them somehow, it's going to be revolutionary. It's like, I'm going to give them some sarcastic line and they're going to be like, you know, I've never really thought about it that way. I'm, I'm ready to change my life right now. It's not going to happen. I tried it last night with Papa John's. It doesn't work. Nobody changes. They just give you a 50% off coupon for your next purchase. Because the greatest need isn't anything that you have to offer. Their greatest need is Christ. So here's my challenge. And then the band's going to come in a minute. And we're going we're to sing and we're going we're to praise and we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to do all that. But, but just for a moment, right where you sit. This week. This week. Would you just commitment time right now. I'm going to do my best this week. I'm not, I'm not going to get angry as someone for behaving in a way that is in accordance with what they believe. But I'm gonna be compassionate because if they knew the same Jesus that I did, then they wouldn't be able to do that. They wouldn't be able to talk like that. They wouldn't be able to think like that. Their work ethic wouldn't be as low as it is because all things we do for the glory of Christ, right? Like everything that, that I can see and, and ascertain from, from my observation of their life is clear and evident to me that they, they have a need. And not just any need, but the same need that I have. They need a relationship with Jesus because they're never gonna experience the fullness of life on this side of eternity without him. And the other side of eternity without him is even worse. It's the worst. So I'm asking that we would we'd commit together today to ask God to give us compassionate and broken hearts for the people that frustrate us instead of angry, disgusted, and mocking hearts towards the people that anger and frustrate us. Let's pray together. God, if we are ever in this life going to be able to relate to people in a way that is honoring to them and pleasing to you and helpful to us then God that it's going to have to start with our recognition that God they have the same need that I do they need the same Jesus that I have said as a follower of Christ is the only way 
that I can make it in this world and have any kind of sense of, of purpose and of hope and of joy. God, would you condition our hearts to want the same thing for other people that we want for ourselves, that we would want for them the same peace and hope and joy and purpose that we have in a relationship with you. God, would we want it as bad for them as we do for ourselves? God, fix our selfishness, our greed, our anger, our contempt, our disgust. God, would you give us heavenly eyes to see? Would you make us purveyors of the, the gospel that we might be able to, to welcome someone who has the same need as we do. And God, the promise of your son Jesus was this, that for any of us that would welcome a child, one who's needy in the same way that we're needy, God, that if we welcome them and we welcome Christ. So Father, help us to see like you see, to love like you love, to forgive like you forgive, to be patient in the same manner that you're patient with us. And God, would you help us? Would you help us be the carriers of the gospel, the good news of a God who loves, a son who saves, a Holy Spirit who lives within so that we, God, might experience the fullness of your kingdom on this side of eternity and in the next. God, help us. We thank you that we can ask and that you hear us because of the relationship that we have with you through Jesus, your son. We pray it in his name.